Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. It's the Dominator, folks. We're back. I'm your host, Billy Musio. With me today is Alex Caruso. He is the host of the Fresh Fantasy Football Podcast. He is a also featured content creator on Fantasy Pros and Football Guys, featured on ESPN as well. And he is a TikTok star in the making. Alex, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on and excited to talk some uh, fantasy impact for these free agencies. No, I, I love this time of year. I mean, I, it's the beautiful thing about the sport that is the NFL. There is never a boring time of year, whether it's draft season or it's free agency season or even, you know, OTA and training camp season. I enjoy it all, but I'm excited to talk some free agents today. Some players here with some pretty interesting cases that might be a lot more valuable for fantasy than people think. Yeah, so um, let's just kick it off the top. Let's just start running down. That's what people are here sure. for. Um, we have five wide receivers and five running backs that we're going to be talking about today. Um, all that could make a potential splash here for your fantasy football teams. Start off the top. Let's start with Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, last year, 2022, he was with the Kansas City Chiefs. He finished as wide receiver 35 in fantasy points per game with 11.6. Had 101 targets, which was wide receiver 31. Uh, 17.5% target share, roughly. Uh, however, he joins the Patriots, who are uh, typically a run-first offense. Uh, Mac Jones is definitely a downgrade from uh, Patrick Mahomes. Signs a three-year, $25.5 million deal here with the Patriots. How do you think this impacts his fantasy value here in 2023? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's very good for his fantasy value. I mean, you already hit some of the points. I mean, a lot of people are expecting him to take this, you know, Jacoby Myers role. But last year, Jacoby Myers finishes the wide receiver 28, which is the best finish for a Patriots wide receiver without Tom Brady. He does not have Mahomes or Travis Kelsey to take some attention away anymore. And Jacoby Myers was better in PFF receiving grade. He was better in yards per route run. He was better in any contested catch situation. And I think that this offense is not going to pass the ball nearly as much as the Chiefs are. They're not going to score as many points. So I think this is like a downgrade for Juju's situation as a whole. But I think more than anything, it just caps his ceiling. Where last year, the Chiefs, we could have said, okay, I see him being a top 12 wide receiver. I don't see that ever being a possibility in this Patriots system. And I think his ceiling is maybe a back-end top 24 finish if everything went perfectly. I have him right now as wide receiver number 40 five over yeah. in the rankings of player profiler. Do you think that's too high, too low based upon this move? Um, I feel like Jacoby Myers is more lateral and we'll get to him yeah. later on inside this, this discussion, but for Juju, it's definitely not lateral. It's definitely a downgrade. I agree with you here. Um, why does he have 45 too low? You think, or, or, or do you think of just about right? I think that's just just about right. I, I think that, like again, like he still, you know, was inside the top 30 last year. He still has a little bit of upside. I do think it's a little bit capped. So I think that wide receiver 40, 45 range, I think, is, is absolutely perfect. I call it the Goldilocks range, right? Just the Goldilocks. right. And so <laughs> when, when you have kids, you, 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 you breach these uh, all these little children's stories into your fantasy football analysis. You have to. <laughs> uh, uh yeah i i definitely agree i think juju is is definitely in, in a less than stellar situation i do like the fact that he has uh less target competition uh but yeah. again it's it's the quality of the targets that we're going to be seeing um next receiver we have on the list is dj chark dj chark last year finished as the wide receiver 53 in fantasy points per game 
Um, I was high on Chark last year. Loved the Lions, the landing spot. Um, we saw what he was able to do in his, uh, I think it was his sophomore campaign, 2019, where he he finished as wide receiver 19 fantasy points per game. He had 117 targets that year. He did eclipse 1,000 yards. He had like the second most air yards in the league that year, 1,452. Um, since then, he has yet to eclipse 100 targets. Last year, he played 11 games, so he saw injury, and he has yet to finish an entire NFL season, 16 full games or 17 games now. Um, he's played in 10 games his rookie year, 15 his sophomore year, 13, 4, and 11. Uh, we can definitely say that injury is a factor when considering with DJ Chark. Um, that being said, he signs this year with uh, the Panthers, so he signs a one-year, $5 million prove-it deal. What do you think this does for his fantasy value? Is this a, a plus situation coming from the Lions, in your opinion? Do you think it's a lateral move, or do you think it's going to hinder his performance and, and fantasy impact? Yeah, I mean, let me start by saying that last year I was a little bit of a, a DJ Shark hater. Like I, I didn't see him totally doing it in in Detroit, but this year when I was doing a little bit of you know work on him for what he could do on the Panthers, I was actually a little bit intrigued at, at his potential. And I'm a little bit more on the DJ Shark bandwagon than I would like to admit normally. And that's because like when he gets volume, he produces. I mean, last year in six games where he had five plus targets, he averaged 13.9 PPR points per game, which is inside the top 20 wide receivers over his last eight games where he saw five plus targets. He's averaging 14.3 points per game, which would be inside the top 15 wide receivers. I mean, this is a team where the top three wide receivers are him, Terrace Marshall and a 33 year old Adam Thielen. He's still one of the best athletes in the NFL over the last four years. He's averaged about a 20 percent target per route run rate, which is OK. But at the end of the day, he's still is just one finish you know inside the top 50 or two finishes inside the top 50 wide receivers one finish inside the top 40 so i don't love him but i think he's intriguing potential because when he's getting targets he historically produces really well and i don't see why he shouldn't be getting at least five targets a game in this kind of offense regardless of who the quarterback is yeah i i've always liked dj chark right he's got a great combination of size and speed six foot three came out of college running a four three forty uh, we know he's a lateral threat, able to get down the field. Also, a big body receiver who can who can make some splashes in the red zone. Uh, I I think this is a good addition to the Panthers. I I think it's a slight downgrade though from last year with Detroit Lions and and what the team was kind of accomplishing. I um, mean, you take a look at the the quality of the targets that he's going to be seeing. Like we we don't know who's going to be quarterback. We're assuming that it's going to be a rookie, right? We might see a little bit of of some veteran you know games and mixed in here as well. Um, but I, I do think. Either way, there's going to be a learning curve in this offense, and they're kind of piecing together the offense, per se, and it's not a, a permanent solution um, as they're rebuilding this 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 team. And I think that um, this one-year deal, I think he's going to have a lot to prove. Health, again, though, is one of the things he has to overcome. Um, but I definitely think he has the skills to succeed. I mean, I was high on Shark last year. I think I had him inside my top 45 in wide receivers. Uh, he was on track to, to to beat that until he was injured, of course, and then he finished outside of that. Um, so I was uh, a little disappointed to see him get injured again. Um, you know, never, never, never something you'd like to see. Uh, I am not in on DJ Chark as much as I was this year. I will not be singing the DJ Chark to do to do songs. Um, and so uh, <laughs> I definitely am, am not am, am not crazy about the Panthers landing spot. Yeah, the uh, landing spot. Go ahead. Right? No, you're good. You're good. Uh, next receiver we have, and we talked about uh, his predecessor uh, before, is Jacoby Myers. And so Jacoby Myers here uh, is with the Las Vegas Raiders now. Um, this, to me, is a lateral move, right? But the Raiders went out and actually paid him. So he signed a three-year, $33 million deal. Uh, he comes in. Uh, he has some familiarity with the McDaniels coming you know, from the Patriots as well. What do you think this does for Jacoby Myers in, in 2023? Do you like this more than when he was at the Patriots? Would you have liked to see him stay inside of the system where he already knew with the coach and the quarterback? Or are you more excited about Jacoby Myers in 2023? Yeah, I actually really like Jacoby Myers. I mean, he's been pegged as a you know stereotypical slot guy. You know, what is he going to do with Hunter Renfro being there? But he was actually better on the outside than he was on the inside last year. He was second in target per route run from the perimeter in the entire NFL among all wide receivers last year. He was sixth in yards per route run from the perimeter. He was 19th in yards per route run for a season. But the thing I like about him the most is how his ability to command targets regardless of the offense that he's been in. I mean, last year he had at least a 20% target share in 70% of the games in 2022. And over the last three seasons, he has three straight years of seeing a target at 25% or more of the routes he's been on the field 
which is an elite number for wide receivers. And especially with how efficient he's been on the outside, I think the Raiders saw that and said that we can play this guy on the outside. They could put Hunter Renfro on the inside because Myers last year, the last thing I'll finish on is that he played over 50% of his snaps from the slot, but his yards per route run was a lot higher on the outside than it was on the inside. So if the Raiders were keen enough to pick up on that, I think they could see them having Hunter Renfro more in the outside and Meyer stays on the field over 90% of the snaps in those two wide receiver sets or more. Yeah, he saw the 16 most slot snaps inside the NFL last year. He was 51.7% of the time. Um, you know, so we'd love to see him stay inside the slot. Uh, and I definitely think Jacoby Myers is one of the most underrated receivers uh, in the NFL, right? Consistently Agreed. producing um, and has just been kind of in a, a poor situation from a quarterback aspect from a team throwing the ball and 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 being able to to really kind of catch on i was hoping he'd land it would have been awesome to see him like him just land in the chiefs and then juju go back to the patriots and get to see kind of in <laughs> retrospect exactly how each other would do and in, inside those those positions for each other for a great comparison but i do think jacoby myers is is in a better position you know jimmy jimmy garoppolo uh typically likes throwing to this you know short intermediate routes as well he's very accurate um so i think that for the raiders i think Jacoby Myers in a good spot to succeed. Next receiver we have on the list is going to be McCole Hardman. So McCole Hardman signs a, a one-year deal, $6.5 million with the Jets. Um, this one I, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about, right? Because we know how electric McCole Hardman can be. They drafted McCole Hardman um, when the Tyreek Hill incident happened, when we thought that he may potentially be suspended for a long period of time. It did not happen. So when they drafted his replacement, he kind of just sat around. They didn't really have a role for him. Last year, we see Tyreek Hill get traded. However, we never got to see McCole Hardman step into that Tyreek Hill role to the full extent, right? It was only able to play eight games last year. Um, didn't qualify for you know being placed inside of our widest year points per game. However, he did finish with 11.7 fantasy points per game. We can all agree that any time you leave the Chiefs offense or maybe any elite offense in general, it is a downgrade uh, for that player. Uh, he does land on the Jets, though, who have you know the, the looming Aaron Rodgers news, potentially. Let's talk about this in two worlds. One, a world where Aaron Rodgers exists on the Jets. Another one where he does not exist on the Jets. And let's discuss what this does for his fantasy value and how you perceive him to be in 2023. Yeah, for one, I don't think he should be on any roster um, if Aaron Rodgers is not on this team. I mean, like last year, I mean, yes, Garrett Wilson was a rookie, but he was on pace himself for outside the top, outside the top 40 wide receiver finish in those games. There's Zach Wilson. You know, Mike White is gone. I just don't have a lot of faith in them if they continue to put Zach Wilson out there on the field whatsoever. But even if Aaron Rodgers comes there, I don't think it's that great either because it's not like McCole Hardman has this easy path to targets like he did, you know, on the Chiefs even the last couple of years. Yes, they had Tyreek and Travis Kelsey, but they didn't really have any strong wide receivers outside of those guys. And, you know, Alan Lazard, who's now on the Jets, is coming off a career high 21% target share. Corey Davis has had a couple seasons of over a 20% target share. And then they get Garrett Wilson is going to cement himself as one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. So I just don't think that as much as they could have, you know, a little bit more passing volume, like than we would expect normally for the Jets with Aaron Rodgers being there. I just don't see that he'd have to be ultra efficient on his targets. And I think that he has three wide receivers that are better than him on a team, especially for a guy in McCole Hardman whose best target share of his career was 13%. I don't see that why that changes now with probably the most target competition outside of just Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. I'm pulling up the projections right now, and I have it slotted right now, of course, with Aaron, Aaron Rodgers in here. But I want to take a look at um, the target share and how I have this kind of distributed amongst the receivers. Of course, I have Garrett Wilson you know, with the largest chunk of the pie, 26% target share. McCole Hardman right now at 12.5% target share at 76 targets. Um, that gives him roughly a, just under a 70% catch percentage. Do you think 12.5% is ambitious for McCole Hardman? Do you think he's going to be utilized more in kind of this hybrid Debo Samuel role? Is he going to see the ball? Is he going to run the ball a little bit? How do you, how do you think the Jets are going to utilize his skill set? Yeah, I think that I see him between a 10 and 12% target share. I and mean, that's really where he's been like his entire career so far. So I don't expect that to change much with the receivers that they have. I mean, I think they do did sign him for a reason, obviously. And I think they're going to want to utilize his, his speed and get creative on the offense. But, you know, 
as a biased fan, I hope that those like running touches, you know, go to someone more like Garrett Wilson personally, but I think that they signed him for a reason. They obviously see a role that they can use him in target share might not be high, but I think that, you know, as a late round best ball target, I think he might be fantastic. And I think he's going to have a couple spike weeks. The problem is we just don't know when and where those are going to come. I think that he could be just another maybe poor man's version of Marquise Valdez Scantling was for Aaron Rodgers if he ends up going to the Jets. Oh, man. Poor man MVS. Not even a poor man Debo, huh? Um, <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't say poor man Debo and, and look myself in the eye. But the mirror would break if I said that to the mirror. Poor man Debo. I, I can't do it. Who, who would be the poor man's Debo? The poor the poor man's Debo on that offense? Oh, no, man, in, in, in any offense in the NFL. In any offense in, in the NFL. Right now. Oh, Curtis Samuel. Like, I, I think ideally it would be someone like a Curtis Samuel. I know he's not as big as, as Debo was, but for someone that was like a running back in college, can get the short intermediate targets. I don't think he's going to get the usage or really like earn the poor man's Debo, but someone I would like to see that um, would be Curtis Samuel off the top of my head. So is McCole Hardman the poor man's Curtis Samuel? Yes, I will say yes. Yeah, he's a poor man's Curtis Samuel, which means that he has to be really, really good at getting water whenever Garrett Wilson gets tired. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. Um, all right. Another another individual who has speed. Let's talk about Paris Campbell. So he's 25 now, signs one year, four point seven million dollar deal here uh, this year. What do you think? And that's for the, with the Giants. Sorry, folks. Uh, w- what do you think his fantasy outlook looks like in 2023? He saw a career year last year in targets. He finally was able to complete an entire season. Prior to that, he had only played in 15 games in three years. He played in 17 games last year. Saw 92 targets, 63 receptions. Finished wide receiver number 54 in fantasy points per game. Uh, did not see a lot of yards. Only 576 yards. Uh, only saw three touchdowns. Do you think this is a better landing spot for his fantasy outlook? I don't think it possibly like I, I it's not good because like the number one thing about Paris Campbell that most people are not going to realize is in among every single NFL wide receiver last year, Paris Campbell was eighth in routes run. There were seven wide receivers who ran more routes than Paris Campbell did. I don't care what offense you're on. I don't care who the quarterback is. If you ever get an opportunity to be top 10 in the NFL and routes run, I expect some production. And he still couldn't finish inside the top 50, you know, in points per game when the only other wide receivers around him were Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce. Like, there's no shade on those guys. But I think that the Giants arguably have, like, tougher competition to command some targets when you have guys like, you know, Darren Waller. Wondell Robinson should be back. I mean, even though he cannot stay healthy for the life of him, Sterling Shepard's been a target commander every time that he's on the field. You know, Isaiah Hodgins showed flashes. Darius Slayton has shown flashes. Like, I just don't see how the guy that was top 10 in routes run and couldn't finish inside the top 50 does anything on this Giants offense. I know that's not fair to Paris Campbell. Like, I'm, I'm rooting for him as a player. He's had to deal with some really tough injuries. I just don't think that there is going to be gold on the other side of the rainbow that is the New York Giants offense. Yeah, New York Giants offense, not the most pass-heavy offense in in the league, of course. Uh, I've expected for them to to throw the ball about 550 times this year. Uh, They did go out and sign Darren Waller as well, competing for those underneath routes. Um, You you mentioned kind of a just, you know, hodgepodge amount of receivers, right? Wanda Robinson coming off the injury. Gary Slayton's also there. Sterling Shepard, Isaiah Hodgins. Is there room for him to maybe command targets to this wide receiver room? Based on those names, is there a universe where this exists, right? Is there a, a, a place for him to kind of establish himself as maybe the number two option in the passing game? Would you put him behind Isaiah Hodgins in that pecking order? Are you putting him behind everybody? <laughs> You're asking me the tough questions here. I think that the way that I would put this is that if Wando Robinson comes back for week one, you know, after tearing his ACL, and looks remotely healthy. Like I think that Paris Campbell is like a poor man's Wandale Robinson. Like, oh, like to me, to me, like Paris Campbell is a handcuff for for Wandale Robinson. And that if he gets hurt, you know what I mean. I could see him being like the the second guy in the target leaders. But I'm I'm high on Wandale Robinson. I still have you know some belief in Darren Waller, but the passing volume is just not there. So unless Wandale Robinson gets hurt, who I expect to be their slot guy come week one, I just don't think that the outlook is good for Paris Campbell, especially when Paris Campbell ran the most slot routes or most had the most slot snaps in the NFL last year. I think that's Wando Robinson's role. Again, I'm rooting for the guy. I just don't see a world where it happens again on earth 32. Sure. But, but not earth one. 
on Earth One, Wondell Robinson was uh, drafted in the second round, so pick two eleven. Uh, he that late injury though, so he tore the ACL week eleven. Are you expecting him to be ready week one right now? I'm physically not. I'm having him at least missing the first four weeks. We'll see what happens when we get into camp. We get more news. We yep. get updates on his health status. But week 11 tear, I think it would be ambitious to expect him back yep. week one. Perfect world. Great. Maybe it happens. He's small. He's a midget, right? He's no, he's not. doesn't weigh a lot. He's able to maybe get on those, get, put some weight <laughs> on those legs. Um, that being said, assuming, let's just assume that he misses some time at the beginning sure. of the year. Paris Campbell comes out and has that role. What if he what if he comes out and is doing what he did last year? He's staying healthy, he's on the field. Does Wandell Robinson succeed this role to him, or do they try to get both involved down the road? Yeah, I mean, if, if, if a guy's producing, they're going to try to keep both involved. I mean, again, like I, I think that I, I, I'm, a, I'm sorry, I am a Brian Dable believer. I mean, they did some magical things with this team last year, and they were making guys like Isaiah Hodgins look really good. So, like, ideally, in a perfect world, you say, okay. You bring in someone like Paris Campbell, who's probably more talented than Hodgins, and they found roles for guys and made some guys look really good. I mean, they made Richie James, you know, look really good in some spots last year. So, like, why couldn't they do the same thing with Paris Campbell? You know, it'd be the optimistic thought. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if for the first four weeks before Ron Robinson's back that maybe Paris Campbell is second or third in the team in targets. I just don't think that this team is going to have enough pass volume you know, on a week to week basis for it to be consistent. And I think with some of the competition and everything, like, again, I want to be optimistic, but man, I, I hope Paris Campbell is not watching this. Cause like he would, he's going to hate me uh, or it's just not good. He's in the, he's in the mentions right now. He's adding you. Yeah. On Twitter. Um, <laughs> real quick. I just want to say thank you for everybody who has been signing up to our all in package over at player profiler. Uh, the pod father has a quick word saying thank you and what it means for us over here with the team over at player profiler. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. And one of our key missions is to make as much statistics and information and deep analysis available on playerprofiler.com for free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All-In Package to continue to make all this possible. If you can't do All-In, that's okay. We have a draft kit. Or you can just subscribe to the player rankings. Those now include tight end premium FFPC ranks. Our brand new data analysis package will blow your hair back. And of course, there's our Dynasty Deluxe and our DFS Dominator. Take a moment, check out our premium services to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get Get the show. I've been testing out this data analysis tool, and I can tell you what, this thing is flipping awesome. Like it's it just blows the old data analysis tool out of the water. The customization, um, the user experience, what we're able to achieve here um, from an analytical standpoint, like you and I, and even just the everyday user being able to use this tool to find create their own models to to find and create reports to, to to try to potentially make their own breakout finders right i've been probably diving into this thing four or five six hours a day trying to get this thing refined for launch um i think we're going to launch it monday so keep your eyes and ears peeled um but this thing is almost ready to go and it's it's looking pretty slick I can't wait for it. It's gonna be it's gonna be so awesome, especially with all the things that Matt's Matt's come up with over the years. Like I have nothing but but big faith in everything. Player profile has been a go-to source for me since I started creating content three years ago, and it will continue to be. And I cannot wait for this tool to come out Monday. It's been a while. We've been talking about this for a while, so it's gonna be great. We haven't talked about it for a while. It is finally here. It's happening. I'm so <laughs> I'm so I'm pumped up. Like you have no idea how fired up I am. Like I just finally get it off my plate and get it out to the public. I'm excited. Um, something I'm not that excited about, though, is Dante <laughs> Foreman signing to the Bears. One year, $2 million deal. Um, he did see last year career rushing attempts, 203 attempts last year, yet did not break 1,000 yards. He saw 914 yards, the 4.5 yards per carry. He finished as running back 46 in fantasy points per game. Um, 
not a lot to like, in my opinion, for Foreman. Not involved in the passing game, right? We have never seen him eclipse over 5% inside target share in an offense. Woof. David Montgomery, of course, gone with the Lions now. We'll talk about him shortly. What do you think Foreman's outlook looks like here in 2023, splitting this backfield with Khalil Herbert? Yeah, once again, I love Deontay Foreman's story. Like, I think he's made an incredible comeback that almost no player like has really ever made back from an Achilles. But and and I'm just not very optimistic. Like on the surface, you could say, okay, well, he's had at least you know 4.2 yards per carry every season of his career. But last season, he had nine targets in 17 games while having over 200 carries. Like he was on the field a lot. But as far as efficiency goes, Khalil Herbert is just so is like worlds better than he was. Deontay Foreman is 30th in missed tackles forced per touch, where Khalil Herbert was seventh. Uh, Foreman was 32nd in true yards per carry, where Herbert was fifth. And lastly, in yards created per touch, Foreman was 39th and Khalil Herbert was ninth. Like all this says to me is that Khalil Herbert is a better player. He's not a great pass catcher, but he still commanded targets at a higher rate than Foreman has at any point in his career. And I think for this Bears offense to succeed, they're going to have to add another back in the draft. Like, I don't think that this running back room of just Khalil Herbert and Deontay Foreman is necessarily going to get them in the playoffs with the draft picks they have with, you know, like the cap they've had and some of the moves they've made. Like, I think they could be a sneaky playoff team, especially in a much weaker than normal, you know, NFC North, dare I say. And I think they could actually make a run this year. So I think to do that, they're going to have to add it back in the draft. And I would expect them to. But even if not, I just don't think Foreman's that efficient. If Khalil Herbert happens to get hurt, he's the only running back left. Maybe we could see a Carolina thing where he's good for maybe 10 points a game, you know, if he gets enough volume. But ultimately, I just don't see that path shaking out where we see Foreman in that same exact situation last year where he can be productive on half a target per game. I'm trying to like, I always like to play devil's advocate here, even if I, I, I completely agree with everything you're saying, but I don't like to agree for the podcast sake because it yeah. just doesn't, doesn't create good, good discussion good radio so i'm trying to find some metrics over here to play devil's advocate can't find a lot but there's a couple that i want to point yeah. out breakaway run rate he had the 14th highest breakaway run rate in the nfl at 6.9 percent also played against the one of the most mo, one of the most he was one of the backs with the most defenders in the box so running back number nine in in defenders in the box 6.9 on average Probably sees a lighter box here inside of this offense. Maybe not. We'll see because they're also a run first team. Um, what do you think that this looks like for him? Do you think he's going to have an, a better opportunity maybe with less defenders in the box? Do you think he's going to have with less defenders in the box now? Does that increase his breakaway rate? Because he was explosive in that regard. Or am I just reaching here and I'm trying to find too much to, to discuss? No, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he's more efficient than he was last year. Like on a per carry basis, I would expect him to be more efficient than he was last year where Carolina had absolutely nobody and they knew when Foreman was in the game that like it is going to either be him running the ball or nobody. You know what I mean? The quarterbacks were not going to be taking that running the ball every play where Justin Fields, you have that threat. I mean, if you look at both David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert's numbers, their stacked box rate was far lower than Foreman's was. So off the basis of that, yeah, absolutely. But again, I would go back just to like the efficiency stats and like breaking tackles, the yards created per touch, like the things that are more independent metrics of how talented a running back is. And I don't think it helps Foreman in that regard, but I would expect him to be more efficient just on less volume. And if they somehow don't add a running back in the draft or someone in free agency, then, you know, he could be a, a helpful one of the better handcuffs probably in the NFL. If they don't add anybody, I just don't see a world where that doesn't happen. A world that I didn't see this happening was Josh Jacobs finishing as running back three in fantasy points per game last year. He finished with 19.3 fantasy points per game in PPR leagues, 340 rushing attempts, just as we all projected. Right. Of course. Of course. Um, 1,653 rushing yards gets franchise tagged here at the Raiders, $10.1 million franchise tag deal. Do you expect this volume to continue? Cause I think this was the base of his success. In my opinion, it was like this perfect storm that created this up mass amount of opportunity for him. I mean, 340 touch uh, carries, not even touches 340 carries is a shit ton. Do yeah. you expect that to happen again <laughs> in 2023? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't. Like, I think that like we saw, it, you. I don't. I don't know why anything's going to change. Like, they haven't added anybody that's that's going to say something's going to be different. I think one of the things that I was going to bring up is just that, like, to me, this feels like you know, like Demarco Murray syndrome, 
dare I say, like where it's the contract year and they're just going to run him into the ground. Like that's what we saw last year where they expected him to walk and probably get a big deal in free agency from someone else. So they ended up letting him lead the NFL in touches per game. So now he's, he's franchise tagged. Like I, I would say, Billy, like if they sign him to an extension tomorrow for four years, I don't see the, the world where he leads the NFL in touches. And I think they're going to be a little bit more careful with him as we've seen other teams do with running backs after they get big extensions. But if he stays on that franchise tag and come July, there is no extension. I think they run him into the ground again. And again, like I think that he was also even better than we, people realized. Like, like even though he wasn't catching a ridiculous amount of passes, it was just over three per game. He was still fifth in routes run among all running backs last year, and he forced a tackle on 31% of his touches, which is ridiculous. Again, if he doesn't get franchise, if he doesn't get an extension, I think he leads the NFL in touches if he stays healthy. All right. Honestly, here, were you a Josh Jacobs fan prior to last year? No. Hated Josh Jacobs. Okay. I was I was not drafting him anywhere. I was like McDaniel's is gonna do what he always does and go running back by committee. Like I I was one of the people that was like never. I don't I don't think I had I had Josh Jacobs and maybe one team out of fifteen last year and I yeah, I completely missed. And maybe I'm gonna miss again now that I'm believing in him. It, it doesn't. But I feel like I get burned by players that are good continue to stay good. So you shouldn't be fading Derrick Henry or your Austin Ecklers because of age cliffs or touches cliffs or, or whatever it may be. I mean, you just have to believe in the players that continue to produce the 340 carries. I mean, that was, uh, I mean, that's 20 a game playing an entire season on just carries alone. And we saw games where he was eclipsing the 30 mark as well. Um, it's hard to imagine my, and just in, and just looking at it. And again, I'm looking at it from a projection standpoint. Okay. It's hard yep. to pr- project someone for 300 carries. It's just a tough thing to do. Right. Especially when you consider injuries and you consider the, the yep. possibility of them wanting to throw more. Um, I get and I like the sentiment they talked about the franchise tag essentially being another contract year running him in the ground. I love the comparison to Marco Murray. Um, I think that I could see where this is actually happening. Right. And um, that being said. Do we think and I, this is, again, we're speaking hypotheticals here. We're trying to guess what the team is doing, but this is what I like to do in fantasy football. I try to like look to the future. It helps me kind of project things. It helps me kind of understand what may be happening inside the league and, and the coach's eyes and, and trying to project this offense better. Week four, we're in, and he's doing his thing again. Do you think the coaches start thinking, man, we got to keep this guy? We, and that mentality changes now instead of running him into the ground, that we got to start protecting this asset because – we know that we're going to re-sign him now, and there's kind of a, a change in mentality maybe as the season progresses. Is is this something that you think is a real possibility, or do you think they just say, F it, we're going to run him into the ground. If he survives and he does great again, we win, he wins. He goes in, He goes into a contract year as a hero again. We won because we got the tread off the tires, and it's a win-win situation. Which way do you think this 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 turns? Well, I think on the outside, you look at it is like this season is, is his age 26 season. Next season will be his age 27 season. I just can't think of many running backs that got like four year, 15 million year contracts when they were turning 27 for that given year. And I think that's the problem I have. Or if he was still like 23 right now, I would say, OK, maybe there's a point because he's still young enough. But in running back years, he's getting closer and closer to that unfortunate like age cliff. I'm not saying that he's destined to be doomed after this, but we just don't see running backs that are going to get because he's going to want four years and, you know, 50 or 60 million. That's going to take him through his age 30 season. I just don't see a world where they're going to want to sign him to that contract. And I can't think of maybe you can. And please help me here if we don't. But like I can't think of a running back that like they were running like tons of touches for the first five or six weeks. And unless they were not like that guys that were wearing down, got less touches, but if he's not getting worn down, like I can't think of a guy in recent memory that got less touches, got a big extension. And then all of a sudden, like then he was back to like getting like less carries. Does that make sense? No, I completely make sense. No, I just, I, I like to, to see every side of the coin here, right? Look for at sure. it from every angle. You have to, to dissect this offense, dissect, try to, you know, project what this team is going to do. So my hopes and wishes of Zamir White being more involved, you think, are, are just <laughs> hopes and wishes and, and aren't going to be coming to fruition here? 
Yeah, I, I, I like the upside last year. He was one of my favorite handcuffs to draft. But I, I think, unfortunately, again, Jacob's been a pretty pretty healthy player. And he played banged up a lot the last couple of years. I mean, I feel like that guy was coming off the field a lot. And that guy is a dog. He's a fighter. Like, he, that guy, like, is a warrior. Like, fights through anything. And I just think it's going to be really tough for them to take him off the field this year. So, again, Zemir White would be a perfect, you know, handcuff because I really like him, the player. But I think Josh Jacobs just a little bit too good and fights through a lot more injuries than DeAndre Swift does. We'll, we'll just say that. Speaking of games where he played banged up, I remember it was Seattle week 12 last year. It was the game he went off 303 yards, two oh, touchdowns. Yeah. He's running back one for the week, won a few players to eclipse the 300-yard mark in, in, in a season. I moved him down to like running back 20 that week in my rankings because oh. he wasn't he wasn't going to play, they were thinking, right? <laughs> he was he was limited only on Friday like it was a DNP all week. I'm thinking, "Oh, there this is a this is a Zemir White week where we're going to either get other backs involved. I finally get to see yeah. what Zemir White's going to be able to do." No, of course. What do they do? He's DNP most of the week. He's limited on 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 Friday. They handle the rock 33 times on the ground. He leaves the I think he left the game and comes back and they hand the rock like another dozen times. And it's like, they, they, that's, I had, in my mind, he was gone. He was not going to resign with the Raiders. I thought it's exactly what you discussed. They're going to run him in the ground. They're going to rip the tread off the tires. Lo and behold, here we are. It's 2023 and he's on a franchise tag and he's back. And maybe you're right. Maybe they do it again. And yeah, maybe I haven't predicted too low. I have him for 250 carries on the dot right now, which is 58%. I have Zemir White for 20% of the rush share. You're making me kind of second guess this, but 250 touches is still a lot, right? And so it's hard to sit here and project him for over that. And there aren't many guys that like will get that many carries in one season and keep it up the next. Like historically, guys that hit that number of touches in a season over the last decade or so, they don't often hit that again. Like the next the next year, it's not mean that you know, John, I'm gonna put Josh Jacobs my running back 20. You know what I mean? Philly Muzio. Yeah, I'm not. I'm just kidding, obviously. But um, but like um, you can't like completely fade him, but you have to take the projection down. You can't project him for 350 carries again. Like guys just don't hit that season after season after season anymore. Unless you're Derrick Henry, of course. Unless you're Derrick Henry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next receiver, uh, not receiver, running back, I should say. Correct myself here. Next running back I want to talk about who was also franchise tagged was Tony Pollard. Also 25. It's franchise tags with the Cowboys, another $10.1 million franchise tag. Tony Pollard had an electric season. This is finally the season that all of us Tony Pollard stands were hoping for, right? We knew that he was a dynamic back coming out of college. We knew he had the speed. We knew he had the, the you know, dual threat ability. And it was finally unleashed last year in this offense. He ran the ball for a career 193 rush attempts. He broke 1,000 yards on the ground. Uh, he had another 371 receiving yards. He had a total of 12 touchdowns finished as running back eight in fantasy points per game. No Zeke Elliott now. As of now, the road is clear for his path to success. Let's talk about this in twofold. One, what happens in the draft if they don't add a running back by the name of B. John Robinson? Is his path to success clear? <laughs> Because I think that's the only back that would really eat into yep. this 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 workload for him and and his success in 2023. There's some other backs that will fit this offense well and do a lot of things that Zeke did as the plotter and 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 a burnt out back last year. Bijan Landing is a whole another story. So let's talk about two worlds: Earth One, Earth Two. Earth One, yeah. where Bijan is not drafted to the Cowboys. What does Tony Pollard's outlook look like? Earth Two. Bijan is drafted to the Cowboys. What does his outlook look like? I I don't even like. I feel like even if Bijan is there, I still feel like he could be really productive because, like, I mean, I just did the math. Like, what people don't realize is if you include targets and carries, Zeke averaged 17 touches per game last year, and Tony Pollard was still a top 10 running back. So let's say they draft Bijan. Like, how many more touches than 17 per game is he going to get? You know, I got on that, and that was in 15 games for Zeke. Yeah, he'll get 18. You know what I mean? But like, for regardless, I think Tony Pollard's still going to. He's been ultra efficient. I mean, he, over the last two years, he was third in yards after contact. He was top five in rushing yards over expected in back to back years in his career. In the games where he's seen over a 50% snap percentage, he's averaged 19.2 fantasy points per game in games without Zeke Elliott. He's paced for 2000 rushing yards and 34 touchdowns, you know, in his career at that point. But 
Mike McCarthy, sorry, Stephen Jones, like one of the co-owners of the Cowboys, also said the other day that they're looking for a physical back that can complement Tony Pollard. And Mike McCarthy said that he'd still keep the door open for Zeke. To be honest with you, if I'm a Tony Pollard owner, I hope they re-sign Zeke because I don't think there's any running back that can be big and physical that is going to decline more than Zeke Elliott would, where Bijan could be more explosive and be a better total running back and keep Tony Pollard off the field. But I think that Tony Pollard is so much better. And I think they were starting to realize that. Like, I think that his seven, Zeke 17 touches per game last year can only go down. So I honestly hope they take Zeke back and it leads to another top 10 Tony Pollard finish. That is my, my hot take for today. Right now, I have Tony Pollard as RB9 inside my PPR rankings over at Player Profiler. Uh, ADP right now at the FFPC, uh, one of our partners in inside the high-stakes community, is 29.3. I feel like that's a little low, in my opinion, for w- where his upside has. Um, I agree with you. I think that there's a lot of opportunity with with or without Zeke in this offense. Yeah. As of now, just a placeholder because... You know, Zeke's currently not on the team, but you can't just give all those touches in a projection world of Tony Pollard. It just doesn't exist that way. It doesn't happen that way. So as a placeholder right now, I have about 190 rushing attempts for that RB2, whoever that ends up being. Another roughly roughly about four and a half, five percent target share, which is roughly 27 targets. That is underneath your 17 touches per game that you just mentioned with Zeke Elliott. That's more in the 12 to 13 range. Um, I think we can officially say, regardless of who lands here, it's still Tony yep. Pollard season. Would you agree? I completely agree. I think that's the, the biggest takeaway I've had over the last month. Because at first it was like, okay, well, you know, if Zeke doesn't come back, he's going to be free. If Zeke does come back, like maybe not. But I, I think it's Tony Pollard season no matter what. And again, I think there is still like if Bijan Robinson's there, that changes everything. But if they sign any running back that exists on the free agent market right now, if they draft anyone not named Bijan Robinson, like I don't think there's anyone that is going to hurt his value whatsoever. Like it is Tony Pollard season unless Bijan happens to go to Dallas. Tony Pollard's over here saying Bijan who? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Miles Sanders leaving leaving this division. Miles Sanders leaves this division. He heads from the Eagles over to the Panthers. Signs a four year, twenty five and a half million dollar deal with the Panthers. Um, what does his fantasy outlook look like here in twenty twenty three? He gets to deal with the uh, ever. Oh, man, what's the correct word I'm looking here? The ever-confusing Deuce Staley, right? And who's now the running back coach over here for the Panthers who left the Lions. I'm not crazy about Deuce Staley being the running back coach here because I was a Swift fan. We saw where Swift has not been that involved. I'm a little scared for Miles Sanders, but the talent's still there. Um, He might fit the Deuce Staley maybe portrayed or mold of a running back that he likes more than Swift. How do you think that Miles Sanders does in this Panthers offense. I think he's going to underwhelm. Unfortunately, I, I want to be confident because I was such a Miles Sanders truther. Like, like the first two years, I was not in on Miles Sanders last year. I will say that I was wrong about him. But Miles Sanders last year was lucky enough to be on an Eagles team that was third in run plays per game. I mean, he had the fourth most red zone touches among any running back. But as far as efficiency goes, again, like the volume helped him out. I think he was eighth in the NFL in carries, but. Like as for, like similar to Deontay, he's not Deontay Foreman. Don't let me say that. But like, as far as efficiency goes, he wasn't as impressive as he looked on the surface. Like he was 29th in breakaway run rate. That's like 15 plus yard carries, and he was 35th in missed tackles force per touch. He was 50th in yards created per touch. And for a guy like Miles Sanders, where the other day they said they view him as a three down back, he had zero games with four plus targets last year. Like zero. And he had 10 out of the 17 games that he played. He had one or less targets. So, like, yes, he's better than Deontay Foreman. But I think that he looks a lot better than he was because of the offense that he was in. He was behind what I think is the best offensive line in the league. Had someone like you know Jalen Hurts forcing a lot less stack boxes where he's probably going to see more what Deontay Foreman saw last year, which is like top 10 in stack boxes per game. And I just don't think that he's ultimately been like the most efficient player. I think that like everything, the perfect storm came in this year and I'm rooting for him, but I just don't see it happening in Carolina. So he has the ability to catch the ball. They just, I feel like the Eagles misused him in this regard because they had okay. Kenneth Gainwell, they had Boston Scott, but Fair. looking back to his rookie season, he had 50 receptions. Yeah. And, and after that, he only saw 28 receptions, 26 receptions, 20 receptions. It just continued to decline his usage in the passing game. 
part of that could be also that the, the offense kind of you know switched gears and went to you know, Jalen Hurts, yeah. who's, who's also you know the Konami style code running uh, quarterbacks. I, slip there that's say running back um that being said like this offense is going to look a little bit more traditional right they're not going to have someone this mobile and in, in the, in the be in the pocket is this maybe the year where we say his receptions and his target share go back to that of near the 2019 target rate and then the share yeah you have to i think i think it's definitely going to be an upgrade like we're not going to see i'm not we're not going to see nine targets in 17 games like deontay Foreman. it's not what i'm saying like they said they view him as a three down back but like I don't think that like I've seen a couple people on Twitter mention that like he's going to turn into Josh Jacobs. You know what I mean? Where he's seeing 23 touches a game. He's seeing like tons of targets and he's just like never leaving the field. And of course, because I'm saying that's probably exactly what he's going to do. And they're going to give him like a million touches, but they signed him to a four year deal. You know what I mean? And I don't think that they're going to want to give him a guy that they signed for four whole years, you know, tons and tons of but 20 plus touches a game throughout the entire season. Like you said, I think that he probably catches around 40 passes this year, maybe a couple more, but I don't think that he's going to be nearly as efficient as he was last year and score as many t- or nearly as many touchdowns like he was in the Eagles. So I just think his ceiling is a little bit capped. Okay. Talking about someone with another ceiling here, and I don't know what the cap is this year, but David Montgomery joins the lions three year, $18 million deal. We saw what Jamal Williams did in this offense last year, 17 total touchdowns. That's the ceiling that maybe fantasy managers are going to be looking for when they, are drafting David Montgomery in draft, but I think you and I would both agree it's a dangerous game to touch or to chase touchdown variants. However, that being said, David Montgomery is the superior back, in my opinion, from an all-around running back standpoint. What does David Montgomery's outlook look like now that he is on this offense? And I think this offense is is becoming more explosive. We saw them down the stretch. I think it was a seven-game win streak or a six-game win streak. Don't quote me there. But where I'm going with this is we know that this offense is starting to click. There's a lot of positive things to like about this offense. I'm on Ross St. Brown. It's kind of broke out. Um, we saw DeAndre Swift start to do more DeAndre Swift things down the stretch. Um, they they went out and signed what Marvin Jones this week as well. Um, they still have Jamison Williams, who's going to be stretching the field. How does David Montgomery fit into this 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 offense, and how what do we expect him to look like here in 2023? I think it's all going to depend on like the health of DeAndre Swift. Like I, I think it's less about the player because they've made you know DeAndre Swift look phenomenal when he's in. They made Jamal Williams look phenomenal when he's played. I mean they've made Craig Reynolds look phenomenal when he's played. Like no matter what running back has been in for them, I think the ghost of Zach Zenner, you know, could be in and probably be productive in in this offense. And I think that David Montgomery similarly will probably be pretty productive. I think it depends who they let be the goal line back. Because I think on the surface, you see, okay, DeAndre Swift is more efficient in like almost every single advanced statistical category, but he has not been able to stay on the field in any of his three years. He plays, you know, in games, but he's hurt and they're not willing to give him like that full workload. So I honestly see David Montgomery potentially finishing around where he has last year, where he's somewhere finishing in the running back 20s. He's probably not a top 20 running back if DeAndre Swift stays healthy, but with how they involve two backs in their offense, with how many points they're going to score, and how efficient they're going to be. And I would assume that David Montgomery is probably the goal line back that I think that I, I see him probably finishing in the back end running back twenties. Okay. So right now in my rankings, I have them back to back David Montgomery. I actually have a 24 Swift. I have a 25. Yeah. I think that Swift is the more electric talent hands down. And it, if I think that we saw Swift receive a Alvin Kamara type share opportunity share, he has the ability to be the RB one overall in the league. If he could stay healthy. Yep. That being said, health has been an issue. His involvement in the offense has been a question. Deuce Staley's gone. So that's a positive. Um, where, if you're in a draft today, are you drafting David Montgomery first? Or are you drafting Deandre Swift first? Deandre Swift all day. Um, I'm playing to win leagues, you know, upside wins championships. David Montgomery is not going to finish top five running backs. Almost no matter what happens. Like even if, you know, Swift, decides he wants to retire, you know, after after week one and someone steps on his ankle. Like, I don't see David Montgomery finishing top five, where I think that it's more likely that DeAndre Swift finishes the, the running back one overall than David Montgomery finishing top five, regardless of health of anybody. And I still think that DeAndre Swift, like, talent-wise, is one of the most talented running backs in the NFL. Is it likely that he finishes top ten? No. But like on a per game basis, when he's been healthy, he's been nothing but a top 10 fantasy running back, one of the best pass catchers in the league. So if anyone's taking 
David Montgomery before Swift. I think they're nuts. I don't blame them if they're playing the safety game, but you're playing with, you know, usually anywhere from seven to 15 other individuals in a fantasy football league. And if you want to be number one, then you got to draft DeAndre Swift. So I was in a draft the other day at FFPC and I saw David Montgomery go a full round ahead of DeAndre Swift. It's not typical. Right now, the ADPs are starting to close where DeAndre Swift was going at that three, four turn, usually in that kind of early to mid fourth round on average. Uh, starting to slip to the sixth round right now. We're starting to see David Montgomery climb. Right now, ADP has it Swift 67.8 at FFPC, David Montgomery 84.2. So the, the gap has been slowly closing and we're getting closer and closer and closer together. I know that you personally would like to draft Swift. I personally would like to draft Swift. We're drafting for upside. We're drafting to win championships here. David Montgomery is a big household name. Do we expect this gap to close as the masses start drafting more in what I call tourist season, right? August and September. People come out, home leagues. I got my one draft. I got Alex Caruso and Billy Muzio's cheat sheet. I'm drafting here at my home league. Do we start to see that gap close? And is there a scenario in these home leagues where we see David Montgomery start surpassing DeAndre Swift? That's a really tough question because I think I could see it going one of two ways where either the crowd stays with the narrative that he's injury prone and he can't be it. Or this is like the year where me and you are back in riding the DeAndre Swift bus for the third year in a row. So I would lean more towards like he's going to make one. He's going to he's going to look bulked up like we saw last year. His muscles will be looking good. He's going to make someone miss in practice and score a sweet touchdown. And you can't possibly take David Montgomery over that. They're going to say we love his talent. He needs to be on the field. We're going to get some crazy beat reporter quote. I just don't see them closing the gap. But, like, again, at price, I don't mind David Montgomery. I think he's a great pick and a lot of value if Swift can't stay healthy. But, again, I think we are one beat reporter quote or practice clip away from DeAndre Swift continuing to rise in ADP. I think he's too talented to stay in the mid-running back 20s. Man, I was hoping you were going to say the other way so we could get a dip on DeAndre Swift ADP. And, <laughs> and we were going to see that gap get close even more. We could get another round of value. Unfortunately, Alex says no. Okay, Alex. It's been a pleasure recording with you. Why don't you tell the listeners where to find you and what you're working on? Yeah, you can find me um, at Alex Caruso on Twitter. I mean, that's where I post more of my content. There's going to be the tweets and the volume of them and all the stats and everything else I can possibly find. It's going to be on my Twitter more and more and more every month from now until August. It's only going to, the volume is only going to go up unlike DeAndre Swift over the course of a fantasy football season. You can also find me at Alex Caruso NFL on TikTok or Instagram, but Billy, appreciate you having me on. It's been a blast getting to talk some football. And uh, let's hope DeAndre Swift gets the workload he deserves. When they're talking about the Twitter machine, they're talking about mm-hmm. Alex here himself, not the algorithm of Twitter. Thanks, everybody. I'm Billy Musio, your host. This is Alex Caruso. Thanks for joining us. Have a good night and see you next week on The Dominator. Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.